says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, or that ye would test, and find out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Amen. And then if you'd skip over in your Bible, amen, to the book of James, James chapter 4, and verse 17, as one preacher said, keep flipping right and you won't be left. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And my title tonight, amen, for this message, is Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Amen. You can be seated for a few moments. Thank you for standing with us. Amen. Knowing and Doing the will of God. And if if you allow me to tonight, amen, just to sort of take my time and talk to you a little bit. Amen. About what the Lord has, amen, if you will, put into my spirit. The book of Romans from the very beginning of chapter 1 through chapter 11 deals with doctrinal aspects of Christianity and how we are to believe uh, having a proper uh, doctrinal understanding of the things of God. However, in chapter 12, the book of Romans shifts for a few chapters And it begins to focus primarily on the practical side of living for God. We mistake our religion if we look upon it only as a system of inward beliefs. And think that it does not affect how we live our lives in a practical sense. Rather what we preach and what we teach and what we believe, amen, should not only affect us inwardly and cognitively in what we believe and and what we uh, align on with our doctrinal beliefs, but there should be a practical side of what we preach tonight. It should affect our conversation, how we talk to one another. It should affect our relationships one with another. It should affect how we spend our time. 
It should affect how we love. It should affect how we spend our money. Everything about, amen, coming to God is, everything about our lives when we come to God is checked, amen, when we open up the Bible and we begin to read about what God's Word says about our lives. None of us for one moment, if we are honest with ourselves, has arrived and has it all figured out. Amen. If you would reflect back in your Bible reading to when the Apostle Paul, nearing the end of his life, amen, having written countless books and epistles, begins to write and says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. How is it, amen, that a man of God, amen, that lived for God for many, many years can say near the end of his life that I may know him. Because as a person begins to draw closer to the Lord and begins to spend more time in his presence, they begin to see themselves as they really are. And they begin to see, amen, how much of God it is that they really don't even yet know about Him. Again, as a man or a woman begins to draw closer to the Lord, they begin to see themselves in all of their frailties. They begin to see themselves, amen, as falling short of the glory of God. A person that has yet to spend quality and quantitative amounts of time in God's presence can still look at themselves and think, I have the answers. I am a man as good as it gets. I've, I follow the law to the T. I've crossed, I've crossed every T and dotted every I and I've got it figured out. But a person that has been in God's presence, amen, begins to see themselves as falling short, as begins to see themselves as, God, there's so much more of you that I have yet to uncover. And God, I've got a long ways to go. You say, well, that might just be your opinion. No, you see it in Scripture as the Apostle Paul begins to write through the New Testament and he begins to describe himself as the least of the apostles. And he eventually gets down to the point where he says, I'm the cheapest among sinners. Because as he goes further living for God, and as he, as he draws closer to the Lord, and he gets in God's presence evermore, he begins to see, wait a minute, I thought I had a handle on God, but God is beyond figuring out. His ways are high above my ways. His thoughts are far above my thoughts. I've got a long ways to go, but God is going to help me to become more like Him if I will be committed to this journey. But not only must, amen, the message that is preached and that is taught across this pulpit and countless other pulpits and apostolic churches, not only must it affect our mind, but it must also affect our outward actions. From chapters 12 through chapters 15, we begin to see behaviors discussed that reflects that reflect God's righteousness. From chapters 12 through chapters 15 of the book of Romans, amen, the apostle Paul begins to build and say, okay, now you've got figured out the doctrinal side of things and, and I begin to exp- 
express and, and try to communicate to you the proper understanding of how that you need to come under the second Adam and, and negate and get rid of that first Adam mentality that said, I'll do everything in my flesh and I'll do what I want to do. And you need to come under that second Adam that was submitted to the will of God and that was uh, that, that led us into new life and a new way of living. And so after he begins the discourse and completes the discourse, and Romans chapter 1 through chapters 11, he begins in chapters 12 to say, now let me talk about the practical side of living for God. If we're not careful, we can get hung up on pie in the sky all the time and think, amen, uh, uh, that it's, it's only about the doctrine. But the doctrine, if it gets to working in our hearts, uh, will reflect itself on the outward side of a person, of a man or a woman. This is why Jesus could say in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Because you'd be able to quote Acts 2.38. Because you're able to, to tell someone about the oneness of the Godhead. Because you're able to tell them uh, about uh, the, the doctrine of reconciliation. No. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love one towards another. By this shall all men know. That ye are my disciples, if ye have love one towards another. And so in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul begins to dive in. And he says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. It must be the responsibility of the believer to present themselves to the Lord. I cannot present you to God. You've got to be the one to present your body to the Lord. Amen. Your husband can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your father can't do it for you. Your mother can't do it for you. Grandma can't do it for you. Each and every one of us has to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice, it implies that he who presents it in, entirely releases all claim or right to it and leaves it to be disposed of for the honor of God. In other words, a sacrifice that is tied down to an altar. Amen. When a man or a woman in the Old Testament times would begin to take the animal sacrifice and lay it upon an altar and tie it down when it was still alive. At that moment, they begin to relinquish their authority and, and their right and their claim to that sacrifice. And, and they put it on the altar and they say, okay, God, it's yours. I will tie it down. It will be a living sacrifice. I'll take the knife, God, but you've got to bring the fire down. Amen. But there's never a point in this story, amen, where the sacrificer is able to or is authorized to, to pick up that sacrifice off the altar and say, I changed my mind. Hallelujah. When you begin to give your heart to the Lord, amen, you've got to understand, amen, it will, it will hurt you and it will hinder you if you keep trying to pick up the old ways. If you keep trying to go back to old relationships, you keep going, trying to go back to old ways and you fall back into the ways that you were raised and you try to pick up 
the sacrifice again and say, no, I'm, I want that back. Hallelujah. You can do what God wants to do when you try to reclaim what you gave to God. Can I cause you for a moment to reflect back? Amen. On the first time you came to the Lord or came back to the Lord and you laid everything on an altar and you said, okay, God, I'm going to give my all to you. I don't want to go back to the drugs. I don't want to go back to the alcohol. I don't want to go back to the abusive relationships. I don't want to go back, God, to all the drama and the hurt that I came out of. I'm giving it all to you. But somewhere along the line, some of us have picked up a sacrifice we put on the altar a long time ago and said, okay. You've got to stop trying to pick up the old ways. Stop. You know what it would do? Some of us a lot of good. Some of us struggle. Amen. Because we've got contacts in our phone that shouldn't be there. Some of us struggle because we follow people on social media that we shouldn't follow. Some of us struggle because we allow ungodly music to come into our hearing. Some of us struggle tonight because we open our ears to people that gossip. We struggle because we, uh, we, uh, we just uh, have these connections and relationships and these ties that we never seem to break free of. Hallelujah. But if you will say, God, I am going to give my all to you in an altar, something that is uh, doctrinal, but yet practical action side. But then there's got to be, as I taught in the Bible study a few weeks ago, there's got to be fruits meet for repentance. There's got to be the fruits meet for repentance. Amen. There's been times that I've been in prayer and I said, God, I want you to bring things to my mind that I might be missing. I might be doing wrong. And God said, what about this thing? Oh. Yeah, I was kind of hoping you would point that thing out. But God will help us if we want him to help us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It did not say what is acceptable unto your flesh. It did not say what is acceptable to societal norms. I don't care how right it feels. It must be viewed in the lens of this question. Is it pleasing before the Lord? God, is it pleasing before you? The way that I'm living my life. Is it pleasing before the Lord? The world has told us for, from, for, gener- for the last several generations... If it feels good, do it. If if it appeals to your flesh, do it. And I know that they're, they're, the spiritual side is difficult and is impossible, I should say, rather to be understood if you're looking through a fleshly lens. A person that is just in the flesh and is consumed and is, is, uh, is uh, dictated by the every whim of their flesh is not going to get what I'm talking about tonight. 
But if inside of each and every one of us there is that, 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 that simple desire that says, yes, I do want to please the Lord. Yes, I do want to do what's right before the Lord. Yes, I want what He wants for me. You've got to look at it. Does it appeal to my flesh? Or does it appeal to my spirit? Is God happy with what I'm saying? How I'm acting? What I'm doing? Who I'm hanging with? What I'm looking at? Or is this something that just gratifies my carnal nature? Acceptable unto God. Not our flesh. Does the relationship... Do the actions, do the words, does your disposition line up with the Bible and the voice of your pastor? The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. This means in a proper sense not to be in fashion like the world. Not to follow the same pattern as the world. If you look like the world more than you look like God. If you look more like someone that doesn't go to church than you do like someone that does go to church, I'm talking to you tonight. If your actions are becoming of somebody that doesn't know the Lord, and yet you have been born into the family of God, I'm talking to you tonight. There is a pull and there is pressure that is being applied, amen, to this world and to every church in the world to be conformed to this world amen to be conformed to this world amen we've seen it amen for the last 10 11 almost 12 months now amen where the world is trying to dictate what the church can and cannot do and the pressure's on to conform to this world We can talk about that at a macro level, about all the pressures in this world. But some of those pressures are hitting people individually in their hearts. The spirits of the age of strife and division is not just in the world out there, but it's trying to make its way into every church. You say, well, pastor's preaching to me again. Let me let you in on a little secret tonight. This is not pastor against you, pastor against him, pastor against her. I was watching a service and I've been watching a few of different churches. And the things I've been talking to this church about, I'm hearing other pastors tell their churches about. I'm hearing the same things across different different pulpits. And apostolic churches in the area. Because it's not about pastor hammering you every service. It's about the spirit speaking to the church. And the things that you and I are facing. And 
and dealing with it and the pressure that we feel is a collective pressure force of pressure that's being exerted upon the church. It's it, it is it is of it is of the devil. And I'm standing here today under the power of the Holy Ghost, amen, to tell you, amen, that we are going to go forward. Hallelujah. We will not succumb to the pressure, but we will dig our heels in. We will pray. We will fast. We will reach for more than we ever have before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the Spirit is speaking to the church in these last days. And you can be here and you can gripe and complain all you want. You can throw stones and say, well, you know what? Look at our pastor. He's not being very productive. He's not being very fruitful. Hallelujah. Just because you, we might be in a season. Hallelujah. Does not, the season does not define the church. The season does not define, amen, the apostolic church. There are times in the season of the farmer when all that he does, Brother Noah, is just sow seed. And he's sowing seed. And he cultivates the ground. And there might be pastors by that look and say, well, that farm's not being very productive. I was reading somewhere just recently when, uh, I forget who it was, but they said, never cut down a tree in the wintertime. Those of you that have been around a few little bit, you understand what I'm talking about. Right. That's right. Never cut down a tree in the wintertime. You think, well, my church must not be what God wants it to be because we're going to have an amazing revival. When was the last time you taught a home Bible study? When was the last time you picked up some church cards and began to invite people to church? When was the last time you got, you got on your cell phone and you, instead of texting people, amen, you, you said, I'm going to start reaching out and I'm going to text everybody in my phone book and invite them to church and tell them what God's done. Hallelujah. There's a lot that you may we may not be able to do in the current climate, but there's still a lot of other ways that you can reach people in your world. Hallelujah. I picked up my phone this afternoon. I began to go through my phone. And I began to text people. Amen. Invitations to church. To church. I, took, I took a picture of the back of the card. And I took a picture of the sanctuary. And I just began to text people. Everybody in my phone that I thought might be interested. I began to do whatever I could do to reach somebody. Because at the end of the day, Sister Cameron, I'm going to stand before the Lord and say, say God, I prayed. I prayed countless hours. I studied. I studied countless hours. I fasted. I fasted days. Amen. I invited people to church. I taught Bible studies. I preached to the church. But God, you are the one that's responsible for giving the increase. I can plant the seed. I may even water the seed. But God, you're the one that gives the increase. Instead of trying to validate and criticize, why don't you say, God, let me be a willing vessel in this church. Let me be involved in what you're trying to do. And it doesn't mean, hallelujah, that you have to have a microphone or you've got to have a pulpit or a platform. Hallelujah. But you can be involved everywhere that you go. You and I know people, amen, family, friends. We see people on the regular, amen, at the stores we go to, at the gyms we go to, uh, wherever it would be. And we have the responsibility to tell them about the Lord. To tell them about the Lord. Apostle Paul said, be not conformed to this world. Not just in fashion. 
but nor the philosophies of this world. The philosophies of the world say, go to church, Easter or Christmas. If you want to go more, you go when you need something. Go to church when it's convenient. If pastor calls for pre-service prayer, well, that's just tough. I'll get there when I get there. If pastor calls for uh, people to come on time, well, that's just tough. I'll get there when I get there. The philosophy of this world. You can do a Google search on your phone if you want. Not now, but later. Amen. The modus operandi. If I said that right. The modus operandi of satanic worshipers is this phrase. Do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt. In other words, do what you want to do. That is the modus operandi of satanic worshipers. Google it. Do what thou wilt. You'll find it. There's a book written about it. I don't even know the, the, the man's name. But that is their modus operandi. Do what thou wilt. Do what you want. And sometimes we come to church and we think, well, I'm going to do what I want because I know better than my pastor. And you think you're being innocent. You think that God does not see that. And you are giving way to spirits of hell in your life because you are doing what you want to do. And as long as we are doing what we want to do, we are not doing what he wants us to do. Pleasing to the Lord. Acceptable unto God. And that phrase, do what thou wilt, being the modus operandi of satanic worshipers is, as you know from your Bible study, rooted in pride. And has always and will always lead to a fall. Genesis. From the beginning of time. Amen. Because Lucifer. Amen. Was second if you will. In in charge of all the heavens. And all the different things. And he he had that place of influence with God Almighty. And he began to establish some familiarity. And I was hearing a preacher talk about this recently. Amen. Brother Jeff Arnold began to talk about how, what was it, amen, that God in the heart of Satan, that God in the heart of Lucifer thought, I can take him on. I can do what he's doing. Who does he think he is? And the preacher, the preacher, Brother Jeff Arnold, began to talk about how maybe it was that Lucifer began to look at all the ways that business was conducted in the heavenlies and began to measure things out and began to kind of talk to a few people about, well, I got a few followers. Amen. Follow me. Amen. We can take this, this guy off. We can do this by ourselves. And we can have some insurrection. We can do whatever it is we want to do. We can do what we want to do. Amen. It was rooted in pride. And the Bible tells us that pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. 
Amen. Each and every time we set out to do it what we want to do. And not what this book dictates to us. We're headed for a fall. And it is based in the spirit of pride. And a spirit of jealousy. Lucifer was jealous. And was full of pride. Lucifer was made in such a way that his, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, he was uh, overlaid with jewels. And so he was the reflection of the glory of God to the rest of the heavens. And it all passed through him. He was a conduit. He was a conduit, much like many of us are conduits. But we can very easily get to the point of thinking, I am, I am pretty beautiful. I am pretty amazing. I am probably more powerful than God. I can do what I want to do. And it is a spirit of pride, a spirit of jealousy that caused Lucifer to fall. The Bible talks about throughout the Old Testament, amen, how it was that each and every time there was a fall in the kingdom and God's people would, would fall prey to the, uh, to the onslaught of the enemy, the Bible would make this phrase, you probably will remember it, every man did that which was right in his own sight. Every man did that which was right in his own sight. And you don't have to read very far down the line to find. And the Persians should capture the people of God. Or the Hittites, the Amorites, and they captured the people of God. And the Babylonians came in. But preceding each and every one of those times, it was every man did that which was right in his own sight. We have all got to get to the place where we can say, God, speak into my life. And where we don't make distinction between the voice of God and the voice of your pastor and the word of God. God speaks to us, amen, through his word. He may speak to some of us directly. And then sometimes, many times, he speaks to us through the mouth of the preacher. But do not be conformed to this world. But on the contrary, we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It says by the renewing of our minds. It's got to be an ongoing action that we take. That we say, God, service yesterday and Sunday, a few days ago was wonderful. Service on Monday or Tuesday was wonderful, but God is Wednesday. Renew my mind again. Touch my heart. Touch my spirit. Renew me, God. I've got to be transformed. Because the world is putting pressure for you to conform. It's saying, do what your family's doing. Do what your friends are doing. Do what everything, do everything else, do what you want to do, but just don't do what the pastor's telling you to do. Just don't do what God is telling you to do. Just don't do what the word of God's telling you to do. You've got to be transformed. This is an ongoing action that we must all take, as they say, on the daily. It must be a daily walk with the Lord. 
I'm trying to help somebody today. If it's been a week, if it's been two weeks, if it's been several days since you got in your faith before the Lord, you begin to pray and you talk to God until you broke through. Hallelujah. Then honey, you're, you're walking on your state thin ice. Hallelujah. The enemy's trying to, to take you out and you've got to understand unless I am having my mind renewed on the daily, if I'm not being transformed by the renewing of my mind, then I'm being conformed to the world. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. Either you are conforming to this world or you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you think that, amen, for one moment, well, I'm just in this stagnant place, amen, and I haven't really gone forward, haven't really gone backward, amen, I'm just stuck. Hallelujah. You are conforming to the pressures of this world. You've got to say, God, I refuse, amen, to stay in this dry quagmire. I refuse to stay in this place. I've got to get a hold of you. And that doesn't mean I go somewhere else. That means right where I am. I say, God, touch me right here in this valley, in the San Joaquin Valley. Put your hand on my life again. Put your hand on my life again. Renew my mind, God. Renew my mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This word prove is commonly applied to metals. Steel, iron, those sorts of things. And is relaying the operation of testing or trying them by the severity of fire and pressure. So when it talks about you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can think for one moment, well, I'm stepping out and I'm going to do the will of God. I don't care if it agrees with my pastor or not. Amen. It is what appeals to my flesh. It is what appeals to me. Hallelujah. Everything must be proved. Amen. Through the testing of fire and through the testing of pressure. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to God that I didn't give up in 2020. I'm thankful to God that you didn't give up in 2020. Hallelujah. But just because I made it through 2020, hallelujah, doesn't mean I can lay my guard down. I've got to hold fast the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And I've got to go to battle. And I've got to fight. And I've got to pray. And I've got to say, God, help me. I refuse to lay down. The English Standard Version says it like this, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Some of you that are looking to know the will of God in your life. If God's not speaking, he hasn't changed his mind. You can put God to the test. God will never fail you. When I, my wife and I were in Fremont, I've told this before, but for the sake of this, the point I want to make, I'm going to tell it again. When my wife and I were in Fremont and I began praying like never before and seeking the will of God and the face of God, I felt like God said, it's, uh, I want you to uh, take the church. And he gave me a burden for this church here in Lathrop. I said, I'm going to test 
whether it's the will of God or not. I want God to speak to my pastor and him tell me what I'm feeling. If it doesn't happen, it's not from the Lord. Because I was proving, I was testing what is that good and perfect will of God. It didn't happen right right away. But with the process of time and praying, praying, fasting, seeking God, eventually my pastor said, Brother Nate, I want to talk to you in my office. And he asked me the same question that God asked me in prayer. Same question. You don't have to get ahead of God. You don't have to rush what you want to do. But you can let it as... The elder Von Morton said, let God unfold the robes in your life. And in that message that Brother Von Morton preached many years ago, he talked about the robes and how it begins to bud. And if you and I begin to become impatient, we begin to try to open that robes, the petals will break off. But if we will allow time to work its course in that flower, it will naturally begin to open and bloom. And it will be beautiful. It will be fragrant. But when we try to rush the hand of God, we fail miserably. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Or that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And I'm going I'm to kind of go through just a few more verses here tonight. Amen. So I'm asking you to stay with me for a few moments. But the Bible continues. And it says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Verse number three. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. A large part of this transformation that happens in Romans chapter 12, when he says uh, that you would be transformed by the renewing of your minds, a large part of transformation that happens in an individual is this element right here in verse number 3. And it's not specifically called out, but it's, it is uh, referred to. It is the word humility. It is the word humility. A large part of this transformation that happens is humility. Thinking of oneself as a part of the whole body of Christ. Understanding. Who we are in Him. When we come to God and we think, who does that young preacher think he is trying to tell me how to change how I dress? Who does that young preacher think he is trying to tell me how to run my home and how to run my marriage and how to run my finances? If you want to be transformed, there will be a level of humility that has to be in your heart that says, Preacher, Just tell me what I've got to do. Just tell me what I need to change. Tell me how I need to please the Lord. I could make a blanket statement tonight, and maybe you'll understand it. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You want to know how to dress, how to act, how to look? Look at me. Look at my wife. And there's people that could probably spot a million different flaws And failures. And kudos to you. But let me tell you tonight. 
Follow me as I follow Christ. I am a man that believes in prayer. I'm a man that believes in tithe and offering. I'm a man that believes in faithful attendance in the house of God. I'm a man that believes in prayer in his home. Amen. My wife dresses holy. Our children dress holy. Hallelujah. We don't have a television in our home. There's no smoking. There's no drinking that happens in our home. Hallelujah. You can follow me as I follow Christ. But to be transformed requires that element of humility. Why is it, and is it any wonder tonight, that God chose speaking in tongues to save that which was lost? You don't think it's a humbling experience to get up here and begin to lift up your hands? Amen. The tears begin to stream down your face, and your tongue begins to wag, and you begin to speak in a different language, and you feel, God, you don't think it's a humbling experience? Or how about water baptism? It's very humbling to be able to get into a baptismal, a horse trough, if you will, and get in water, and get baptized, get soaked and wet in front of everybody that's cheering you on. Amen. It's a humbling experience. But God chooses the element of humility for transformation. And when we lose humility, we are no longer being transformed. We are being conformed to the world. Amen. Hear me tonight. Amen. When you lose humility, you say, don't talk to me like that. Pride begins to spring up in our hearts. We are no longer being transformed. And we're not even somewhere in the middle. We are being conformed to the world. And pride is always a thing that God can't work with. If it was another area, maybe in Lucifer's heart that he struggled with, I don't know. Hypothetically, maybe God could have worked with him. Hypothetically. But the thing that got Lucifer was pride. God said, I can't work with that. It's just got to go. I can't work with pride. Because the opposite of pride is humility, and that's what God works with. If you're here tonight and you're saying, man, you know what, let me just tell like this. The best thing you and I could do is get on our faces before the Lord as I did a few days ago. And I said, God, I want you to break me. I want you to melt everything in me that's selfish, that's prideful. Anything in me that's not pleasing, I want you to take it away from my life. I want you to break me, God. If I've come up in such a way that I need correction and it can't be corrected... Break me, smash down this pile of clay and make me a new vessel in your hands. Whatever it takes. And as long as we keep that posture of humility, God can work something in our lives. God can do it. Albert Barnes said it like this regarding this scripture, that this is a caution against pride and an exhortation not to judge of ourselves by our talents by our wealth, by our function, but to form another standard of judging of ourselves by our Christian character. The Romans would probably be in much danger from this quarter. The prevailing habit of judging among themselves was rampant in the Romans. They judged themselves according to their rank, according to their wealth, their eloquence, and their function. And Apostle Paul preached and wrote to the church at Rome and said, Don't judge yourselves among yourselves, but judge yourselves in the fear of God. Don't judge one another. Stand before the Lord and say, God.
my life that need taken care of. And while this habit of judging prevailed in the world around them, there was danger that it might also prevail in the church. I'm trying to just teach for a few moments tonight to help somebody. Verse 9 of chapter 12 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Let love be without dissimulation or without hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? When you think of a hypocrite, what is a hypocrite? One that says one thing and does something else. And when we love without dissimulation or we love without hypocrisy, we Love, not just in word. Let me have everyone's attention. Someone's going to walk. It's okay. When we love without dissimulation, it's not in words only, but it's in actions. We don't just say, I love you, Lord. We show up to church and we love him. We worship him with our giving. We worship him on Monday with our lifestyle and our dress and our behavior and our communications. True love will be manifested on the outside of a person. This is some practical side. I'm slowing down. Maybe it's too slow for some of you, but I've got to slow it down a little bit tonight. This is some practical sides of living for God. We've had lessons on the oneness of the Godhead and holiness and, 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 and uh, the fruits of the Spirit and the, and the helmet of salvation, the armor of God, all that, all that wonderful stuff. And we'll do it again. But now we're talking about some practical side, how you live for God. There's got to be practical side, the practical side of you living for God. Because you know what happens when you leave these doors of this church? If you're not living the practical side of Christianity, the world sees it. And God wants this church to be a light to this world, right. to this city. Right. And when we go out in this world and they see that God is not working in your life, we'll leave it like that. They say, I don't think they got the goods. I don't think they have what it takes or what I really am looking for. Verse 10 says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Love like a godly family. This is the body of Christ here tonight. There's others that will be here on Sunday. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. I can say with sincerity tonight that I love each and every one of you tonight. And I pray for each and every one of you with tears. I don't just get up here and preach it and talk about behind the pulpit, but I'm showing it. I'm living it. I'm praying it. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. 
Albert Barnes again talks about as that, as that verse begins to continue. He says, preferring one another. He says the word preferring means going before, leading, setting an example. Thus in showing mutual respect and honor, they were to strive to excel. Not to see which could obtain most honor, but which could confer most honor or manifest most respect. Thus they were to be studious and to show to each other all the respect which was due in the various relations of life. Children to, to show proper respect to parents. Parents to children. Servants to their masters and so on and so forth. And all to strive by mutual kindness to promote the happiness of the Christian community. This should be the most happy, the most friendly church. And when it fails to be such, amen, people that come in from the streets cannot find redemption, cannot find reconciliation because, amen, the bride of Christ is sick. Amen. There's something wrong in the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. When it's a healthy church, amen, it will naturally produce things. Amen. But when there's infighting, when there's animosity, when there's strife, when there's sin, when there's things going on inside, hallelujah, that the church cannot reproduce. And we can try to say, well, if that church would just get it together, you know what? A lot of times it starts right looking in the mirror. Saying, God, help me to be what you want me to be. Help me to not be an impediment. Help me to be a stepping stone. Help me, God, to be another rung on the ladder to help, amen, this thing go higher, to go forward. Help me, God, to go forward in you. Stand with me tonight. We talk a lot about prayer. I'm constantly asking you, amen, to come early for prayer. It is vitally important for each and every one of us to come early for prayer and to pray while we're at pre-service prayer. I can't force you. I'm just going to keep pushing and communicating the vision. But prayer is surrender. It's surrender. Prayer is saying, God, I surrender to you. I'm giving myself to you. Prayer is surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. One man named Stanley Jones, in a ride, he said, He said, if I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? I think we all know the answer to that. Such is prayer. Prayer is not pulling God to my will. But rather, it's the aligning of my will to the will of God.
How can I know and do the will of God? When you present your body, you do it individually, a living sacrifice. And stop trying to get it off the altar. And you say, it's going to be acceptable unto God, not to my flesh. My mind will be renewed on the daily, on the regular. I'll allow God to help me. I skipped over a bunch of notes tonight for the sake of time. But I'm trying to help this church. This is God's church tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you tonight. God, this is your people. God, they're beautiful people. These are your sheep tonight, God. God, I'm trying to help your people. I've prayed, God, I've fasted, I've studied, I've consecrated myself. Some people, God, refuse to be moved tonight. Others are grabbing a hold of it and saying, God, change me. I pray, God, that you would give us a fresh baptism of humility. Help us to love you with all of our hearts. Help us to love you, Jesus. Would you lift your hands to the Lord tonight all across this house? Come on, would you lift your hands and your voice to the Lord? Jesus, I surrender my will to you. God, I give myself to you tonight. I want your will for my life. I want your will for my life. Come on, would you lift your voice for a few moments tonight? Holy Ghost is here. Come on, lift your voice tonight.